Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Exalt and give you all the praise, glory, adoration. Once again, we come before your feet to receive instructions from your word. We ask to God for clarity of insight, O Lord, into your intents and purposes for creation and the use of that instrument of judgment in the life of your people towards restoration of all that you've intended from the very beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so we continue with uh, the genealogy of Christ and this is going to be part 7, part number 7. I'm sure you've been following this part 7 and uh, we've been dealing with the issue of the great white throne, essentially. So let's look at the book of Revelation again, 20, from verse 11. And twelve. The other one says, And I saw a great white throne, and he in the side on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small gray stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open which is the book of life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And the dead were joyed out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. I've said it before, a judgment is God's strange work that he uses as a tool in his redemptive restorative process. Judgment is not for annihilation. It is men that makes it the end of what our God intends to do, but judgment is not the end. It's a process. It's always a means to an end. Never an end in itself. Judgment is never an end in itself. And I'll be trying to take my time to explain that to each and every one of us so that we truly understand the purpose and the goal of judgment is both restorative and redemptive. The excess of judgment is redemptive and restorative. Praise God. Please, I need you to pay close attention to what I'm saying because uh, it shifts you from the mindset so much so that anytime you hear about judgment, uh, because of the way we've been taught and the way we have always believed it, what comes to our mind is a terrible moment, a terrific day. Hallelujah. Uh, I did a post yesterday, and uh, here was this man in California that predicted that the, 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 the judgment or whatever you call the rapture, alongside with the judgment, will take place in October 2011. And uh, um, first of all, it was May 21st, 
And then when it never happened, he said, No, it's, there was judgment in the heavens and the rapture didn't take place, but every time it shifted to October 21st. October 21st came and there was nothing. And the people said, okay, Where is our money? Because a lot of money was donated. You know, it went on big boards, on the radio all over the world, you know, talking about the judgment that was going to take place in 2011. People don't understand the purpose of judgment. That's what I'm trying to say. They think anytime judgment is mentioned, destruction, cataclysmic, heaven shaking, you know, all of those things. But that's not exactly what God is saying in His Word. Praise God. We have to understand the bubbles of judgment. And some of you, you can, I'm sure by now, with your um, simple scripture like Isaiah 26, you know what that means? 26, 8, and 11. Right. What did he talk to us? He tells us when the judgment of the Lord is upon the earth, what happened? The inhabitant of the world will learn righteousness. So judgment is not what destroys people, it's what restores man back to himself. Hallelujah. Let me show you this. One of the wonderful judgments you can find in scripture is like, for instance, uh, when the Bible says, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And then Adam and Eve ate of the tree. Adam in particular. I mean Eve, actually. Because Eve had to give to Adam. Remember that. Second Timothy 1 tells us that Adam was not in a transgression. The woman was. It was the woman that sinned because the man wasn't the one, but the man had to follow the woman because Jesus had to follow the church. I've explained that before, right? Good. Now, you know one of the benefits of the judgment that was given on that day? They did not only die, but they were driven from the garden. And the scripture said, lest they eat of the tree of life. So what the implication of that is that if they were not judged by sending them out of the garden, they will have been immortal in a sinful state. Did you get that? If they were not sent out of the garden, which was not judgment, they would have been immortal because they would have ended up eating of the tree of life. So the scripture says, lest they partook of the tree of life, they were sent out of the garden. So if they were not sent out of the garden, they would have been sinful continuously. And what I mean is, death will have continuously remained with man. Sin will have continuously remained with man. You understand that? Because they will have entered into an immortal state in a sinful state. So it was a benefit for Adam and for mankind that they were sent out of the garden. You see that as judgment. You see that as punishment. But what was the outcome of that? It was the benefit of mankind. The benefit of Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. Are you still here? Alright. So, some of your thoughts don't see judgment from the way God sees it. That's what I'm trying to say. Let's make progress. Now, let's get down to Acts chapter 17. Uh, let's look at 17, 30 and 31. Acts 17, 30 and 31. Oh, hallelujah. It says, And the times of this ignorant God wintered, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. In what? In righteousness. By that man whom he has ordained. Wherefore he has given an assurance unto all men. In that he has raised him from the dead. Now I'm going to give full explanation to that. What is the assurance that he gave to all men? He raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. 
Okay, let's make progress a little bit on that. So, this passage is telling us that God's judgment are tied to or confirmed or confined to a day or the limitation of a prescribed age. You are appointed a day. Hallelujah. Look at something here. Uh, when you say a day, it's not talking about one particular day, but it's dealing with age. That is what we don't understand. But let me show you something. Romans fourteen seventeen. I mean Romans fourteen ten. Sorry, Revelation fourteen ten. Revelation fourteen ten. You talk about those who take the mark of the beast. <clears throat> he said, "The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God." which is poured out without mixture into the cup of indignation. And it shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now this was one of the scriptures that got men, you know, to boot me out of their denomination when I newly came to the faith. Uh, I don't want to mention that, but I was worshipping one of the, in the village, one of the denomination, one of the bigger denominations in this country. And uh, we're having Bible studies, and then... Um, they're talking about how, if you look at the next place, it says, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his hand, and who receive the mark of his name. And so, they told us this, that this is going down to the lake of fire. And then I had a problem, because it was Sunday school, and they said, we should ask question. So my question was, if this is a lake of fire, we are told here that this brimstone is in the presence of the holy angel and in the presence of the Lamb. But we've been told that we are supposed to be in heaven. And this is lake of fire. So how come those who are in the lake of fire are now in the presence of the holy angel and in the presence of the Lamb? Then I say it also means Jesus is going to be, because Jesus is the Lamb, that means Jesus is going to be right there in the lake of fire, watching the people burning day and night forever and ever. So, how are we going to have fellowship with Jesus in heaven? That was my offense. And they said, Oh, you come here to look for trouble, so get out of this place. They sent me out of church because I wanted to know. <laughs> you understand that? But you look at this place. In verse 11, for instance, he said, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. You can find day or night, like the question I asked, day or night is not in heaven. Genesis chapter 8 tells us that, seed and harvest as long as the earth remained. And then Genesis chapter 1, I think verse 14, tells us, God created the day and the night. Day and night is for the earth. So this can be in heaven. This can be in eternity. That was my offense. I mean, <laughs> I thought if you are following this thing, praise God. But you, know, but you see, because we use the word day and night, no, they use the word forever and ever, so they talk about eternity. But day and night is not in eternity. Am I making sense to you? I mean, this thing is telling us something else. That was the question I asked, and they say, oh, because they couldn't give the answer. The pastor said, we don't want you here anymore. I have to take my Bible and leave. But at which, this is where the problem is. 
We are not studying the word. We are not asking God to help us understand the word. We just take it and give it out the way our forefathers have given out to us. You understand that? And when you don't stay by what they think, they feel that you are heretic, you are heresy, you, 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 you understand that? They will tell you, oh, you're breaking the tenets of faith. What is here that tells you of eternity? Nothing about eternity here. Amen. I'm going to make you see the word forever and ever. Hallelujah. The word forever and ever actually means aeon. A-I-O-N. Which means an age. It is not talking of eternity as we know it, otherwise it will read from eternity and eternity. But that's not exactly what it says. And that is completely absurd. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Eternity simply just means eternity. You can't say from eternity and eternity. It doesn't make sense. Eternity is eternity. It should be one. Are you following what I'm saying? Right. So this is not talking about eternity. It's talking about an age. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, for instance, the Young Translation, there's a Bible called the Young Translation. It makes it very plain. Verse 11 says, And the smoke of their torment doth go up to ages of the ages, and they have no rest day and night. It's ages of the ages. That's the real meaning and the real word that's supposed to be used there. Not forever and forever. River and river, your mind will just go to eternity and eternity and eternity. I mean, that's not scripture. That's not the mind of God. Hallelujah. Amen? So it talks about those who have no rest day nor night. Litra translation of uh, the young translation. Who are buying before the beast and his image. And if any doll receive the mark or his name. And I was trying to explain something on Sunday to the brethren over there. Um, I'm not protecting anything but when they tell you the mark of the beast uh, whatever if you take anything now or as the case may be you are taking the mark of the beast well we know that most people who go for this vaccine is on the left side but what the bible says right hand on your forehead I don't know how that relates is it agreeing not at all right hand simply speaks a place of power Forehead speaks of wisdom. That's why Revelation chapter 12, 14 rather, will tell you that those 144,000, they have the name of God written where? In their forehead. It's a place of wisdom. It's not talking about some chiefs or whatever in person's hand. No. That's absolute deception. Religious deception. Hallelujah. You see, that's why you feel like Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. It's a place of power. It's a place of dominion. That's what it means. You see? That's why in Mark chapter 9, they tell you the same thing. If your right hand causes you to sin, why is it I told you your right hand I will cause you to sin? Your left hand doesn't cause you to sin. Is that okay? And then if your right eye causes you to sin, plug it out. How many blind men do we see right now? We are in church. That means no man who is in church, I mean, all the men in church, nobody is causing, I mean, nothing is making that to sin. So because we haven't seen anybody, Whose right hand, right from when Christianity began, is being blocked out. But somebody will tell you, say, I'm a literalist. I believe everything the Bible says. I have no problem with that. You go pluck up your eye because once in a while you've been sinning. That's what makes you a literal person. 
They forgot Jesus was talking in parables. Your right hand make you sing, cut it off. And we see all people, nobody is able to cut off his right hand. I will tell you, it's not real. That's not what the Bible is talking about. Hallelujah. So, eternity and eternity have nothing to do. I mean, that's not scripture. It's ages of the ages. So, we're talking about time frame. Hallelujah. Are we still here? Let me show you that. Genesis 1.14. Talking about the issue of the day and night so that you can understand. Because day and night are for seasons. Praise God. Right. Genesis 1.14. And God said, Let there be light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So we know now from this scripture that day and night are for what? Earthly seasons. Nothing to do with eternity. And now they are tormented day and night. And people don't understand that I'm not talking about eternity. But I tell you where well, they are going to be burning forever and ever. You know, and they'll be crying, and and we will tell you, oh, you see, the hopeless, so hopeless, just like you see, um, what do you call it, Lazarus, the rich man was saying, take a finger and cool my tongue. You understand that? Say so that's how hopeless, lake of fire or whatever it really is. You mean you might cry for a drop of water? Oh, if it is really what it is. How, how long will a drop of water drop before it evaporates? A drop of water. You want to give it to somebody who is in, in that kind of lake. Before the drop of water gets to the man, the thing is gone. Isn't it? Oh. Finger. What is finger? Finger speaks of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you go back and read there. Say, I deliver you with the finger of God. Talking about children of Israel. The book of Exodus. How many of you have read that? Finger of God means the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. The finger of God is the Holy Spirit. So, why was he say, cool my tongue? Because with your mouth, your tongue, you are condemned. Said, the Bible said the tongue is a wall of fire. How many of you remember that? Good. So, what was it? They derided the man with the Jesus. And they were not saying, come help me change my language. He's not talking of H2O. Give me the Holy Spirit on my confess that Jesus is Lord. Praise God. <laughs> Are you still there with me? We will take that some other time. That Lazarus on the rich man. Now I'm trying to say that because people don't understand the Bible. I mean, I don't know why it is so difficult for them to understand the Bible. I don't know why. You know, I asked somebody the question, why would we do that? We did that fully. I, I, I think I have some messages from that on the website. But why do you think this rich man was saying, go tell my five brothers. Five brothers. Not six, not four, five. People can't even understand that. That that's talking about the house of Judah. Simeon, Judah, whatever. The five children that makes up the tribe of Judah. Go tell them. Hallelujah. Are uh, you see here with me? You see, you got to be able to read and have understanding of this scripture. So anyway, let's get down with our judgments of some other time we'll deal with that. Again, Genesis 8 verse 22. Now I'm dealing with the issue of day and night now, right? The issue of ages and ages instead of what you call eternity and eternity. 
There is nothing like that. It has to be eternity, period. You can have eternity and eternity. It makes no sense. Very absurd. Okay. Genesis verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not do what? Shall not cease. So we know that day and night belongs to the earth. So when he said they are tormented day and night, what is he talking about? It's not in eternity. It's not in the realm of spirit. We don't need to go into all of that. I'm just trying to tell you the issue of ages when he said, has appointed a day, so we think about one day. No, 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 no. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Meaning the torment, which is the judgment that we read about in Revelation 11, which has to do with forever and river, simply means ages to the ages. Praise God. It doesn't relate to eternity. But rather ages specified, ordained in the hands of God. Specific time period. That's what it means. It's not talking of eternity. Talking of an age, it's speaking time period. For instance, let me give you this. You know, when, when Jesus was speaking, um, the disciples did ask him, what should be our reward? And he told them, Genesis chapter, I mean, Mighty chapter 19. Remember this story, I'm sure? Right. And he told them, well, in this age, and in the age to come, a hundredfold, isn't it? Right. What age and what age was he talking about? And some of us will think, okay, or maybe he's talking about this age that we are. No. He was just talking about the age of the law and the age of the Holy Spirit. So the age to come took place once Pentecost took place. Another age came into place. Somebody you see, before Pentecost, all of that was an age. Did you get that? Good. Now, we are in the age of the Holy Spirit, which is actually the age of the kingdom of the Son of God. Not the kingdom of God. <laughs> are you there with me? Hallelujah. Now, if, if you get confused, go into Colossians 1 and look at verse 13. <laughs> Excuse me. Colossians 1 verse 13. Hallelujah. Now, who have delivered us from the power of darkness are translated into what? The kingdom of what? Of his dear son. That is different from the kingdom of God in his fullness. Why? Because now Christ is reigning, according to 1 Corinthians 15, it will bring all things under feet, and then we deliver all things unto what? Unto God. God shall be all in all. But right now, Christ is ruling. Everything is under the feet of Christ, which is actually the church. So you can also say this is the age of the church. Hallelujah. But how long is that? So when we talk about age of the ages, I'm saying this so that you can understand that. Right from Pentecost to this time that we are, is an age. But you can call that age of the church or the age of the kingdom of his dear son. It's one age. So when you say ages of the ages, you can't say how many years that is supposed to be. Is that making sense? Oh, glory. Hallelujah. So God intends for redemption going beyond the ages, as we know it, into the other side of time. Hallelujah. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 10. Ephesians 1, verse number 10. Glory to God. Read it from the Amplified. Amplified translation. 
I like this. Amplified translation. He planned for the maturity of the times and the climates of the ages to unify all things and head them up and consume them in Christ. Both things in heaven and things where? On the earth. Hallelujah. He planned for the maturity of times with the seasons and the climates of the ages to unify all things. How many things? All things. And add them up and consume them in who? In Christ. Both things in heaven and things on the earth. And it is together. Praise the living God. The climates of the ages. That means there are many ages, but you come to a climax. In other words, we can say a final age. Hallelujah. You do get this. Here we're going to have a complete harmony of all things back into who? Into Christ, even in God. This is the true meaning of the word shalom. When you say shalom, you know what that means? Nothing missing, nothing broken. Hallelujah. Complete peace and complete harmony. In all reigns, but all we're in Christ. That is why I would say Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Is that okay? All things are going to be gathered together. And when all things are gathered together in Christ, there can't be any, you know, fractions or disorganizations or confusion. No, everything comes together. Everything gets harmonized in Christ, in God. In fact, oh, help me, Lord. We're talking about what you now call paradise. Is that okay? Everything perfect peace and perfect harmony. We're talking about when the lion will lie down together with the lamb. Oh glory. Are you following what I'm saying? That's complete harmony. Finding Christ. And that is going to come about in the climax of the ages which we don't know. We have no clue about when that will be. Praise God. But we know that everything will climb us in the ages to come. So what followed this harmony of things in Christ as the ultimate goal? Let's look at that again. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. Amplified translation, I'm sure we help us better here. Amplified translation. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 27. Are you there with me? For he the Father has put all things in subjection under his Christ's feet. Remember, we translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Is that okay? Put all things under his feet, which is Christ's feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection under him, it is evident that he himself, which is God now, is exempted. Who does the subjecting of all things to him? The next thing says, However, when everything is subjected to him, then the Son himself will also subject himself unto, unto the Father, who put all things under him, so that God may be all in all. What is that supposed to mean? Be everything to everyone supreme, the indwelling and controlling factor of life. This is the final stage. Hallelujah. The 
Did you get that? God become the indwelling factor to every man supreme. That which controls man is no longer that you're going to, it's like, you know, what I mean is, you're not just talking about the Holy Spirit. Now you're talking about Christ. This is God dwelling in you. And you can understand what um, Jesus will say. If you don't believe what I'm doing, believe the God that dwells in me. So if you don't believe in me, believe the work that I'm doing. Because it's not me that's doing the work, it's God that dwells in me that's doing the work. I don't ever get in that. So his life was controlled by God that was dwelling in him. That's exactly what I'm saying. We come to a stage where everything about man and all men everywhere would become the full temple of God, be controlled by who? By God himself. That is a climax of the ages. Everything they push up unto who? Unto God. Praise the living God. Are you there? So, here, God shall be everything to everyone as the final goal of God in creation and that is the ultimate of all of the work of redemption. The ultimate of the work of redemption is when Christ, I mean God, becomes the controlling factor of every man's life. Everyone. He didn't say some, he said everyone. God is going to be everyone, I mean everything to everyone. And I want you to understand that. He will be everything to everyone. He will be supreme, he will be the indwelling and controlling factor of life for everyone. The final sage. Hallelujah. So we are moving towards the climax. Like we read in that Ephesians 1 verse 10. Everything we climax in God. And after that I mean in Christ. And then he hand them over unto who? Unto God. God become completely God. That's when you will not fully talk about the kingdom of God. In his ultimate realization. Hallelujah. So you see. Judgment and discipline. These are the measures that God is executing. We continue to execute in times and season and does it bring out the ultimate goal of God's intent. As we continue to prongent, I mean, all of those things, the discipline, the, the stripings and the judgment, they're all pushing towards one goal. Redeeming man back unto himself. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are we still here? We never can see that the process towards achieving the ultimate desire and the goal involves this judgment and disciplines in times and ages. But the goal is all things gathered together in Christ. In eternity. So judgment is simply a process. And on an end, it's taking us somewhere. And I want you to understand that. What is the process that we're ending up with? Again, Isaiah 26, verse number 9. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitant of the world will learn righteousness. This is what God's judgment will produce finally on the face of the earth. Are you still with me? Praise the living God. Did you get that? This is ultimately where we are going to. And it's important that people should understand this. It's important we come to that realization that God's ultimate judgment on the face of the earth is that our men will do what? Will learn righteousness. And that's what it's going to produce. So judgment is not 
Maybe spray you with bullets and whatever. Send you away to oblivion. And tie you up and chain you up somewhere. And they'll be crying. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Last week somebody asked me a question. I said, Pastor David, what is, what is the lake of fire? I said, the lake of fire is second death. And I said, yes, I believe that. Okay, fine. So the first question is, where is the first death? You cannot have second without first. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you can understand what false death stands for, then it's easy for you to understand what is lake of fire. Because lake of fire equals the second death. So what's the false death? Somebody says, Pastor, talk to me. Go read. I'm not telling you about that. Hallelujah. I don't even get what I'm saying. It is so simple. It's just that we don't, we don't take time to think. We don't take time to ask questions. Somebody asked me the same question yesterday when he read one of my posts on Facebook. You know, when he was talking about the issue of second coming, I said, there is no scripture in the Bible that talks about second coming. You can find it. What you find is second time. And that's Hebrew chapter 9. Right? Verse 28. Second time, not second coming. You don't see that in the Bible. What you see is come again. Right? And come again is not the same thing as second coming. And like I asked the question, okay, if you say, well, the second coming, which was the first coming? Confusion comes in, because you cannot have second without first first. And then you say, oh, well, the first coming was when he was born in Bethlehem. And if that is the case, did he float up from the sky? So if you have to come, like he came the first time, then he's going to come through a medium. What's a medium? A human being. The whole body of Christ right now. Can I tell you something? Christ is going to come through the church. You can't believe this. But you know what? Mary was a virgin. And Paul said, I present you as a church virgin unto, unto Christ. And so what happened? The Bible tells us in the book of Luke chapter 1. That the glory of the Lord overshadowed Mary. And the angel said, that holy thing that shall be in thee shall be called what? The Son of God. What was the glory that overshadowed? That is Shekinah glory. The same glory that came upon my Sinai. The glory that came on Mount of Transfiguration. The came on, that came on the dedication of Solomon Temple. That was the same glory that overshadowed Mary. That's what you find in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2. When the Bible said the earth without form and boil. And the spirit of the Lord hovered. Where that supposed to be? He brooded like a hen. And when he was brooding life was formed into the earth that was without form and boil. Same thing happened to me. Mary, and that's what's going to happen to the church. The glory will come over the church. Christ may form, and then he moves out. That's what the Bible says in Jude chapter 14. It tells you that Christ will come in the myriad of himself. When he talks about 10,000 of people, he talks in the myriad of himself. So we're talking about the people who are Christ. They are just, what that's supposed to mean? Christ, Lord, King, is Lord of Lord. King of kings. So what are we talking about? The eyes of his eyes, the leg of his leg, everything. Perfect harmony, perfect union. He coming through the church. You read the book of Song of Solomon, you'll be able to see a scripture there. Who is that coming out of the wilderness? Jericho said their heart melted. When we're talking about Rahab. Say so the heart of the people mentor when they heard about children of Israel coming out of the wilderness. That was a company of people. You find the same thing in the book of Deuteronomy 33. When the Bible says God came to my Sinai with 10,000 of his people. He speaks of the vigor of the church. 
So in the Old Testament, we have the 10,000. In the New Testament, we have the 10,000. This is a corporate body of people who are come into the same measure of the person that they represent, which is Christ. Glory to God. But we don't have the understanding of all these things. So our mind is into one thing that, I mean, judgment, they blew everything, we just shake and, ah. Oh. But God is helping his people. More people are coming to the truth and I'm so glad in my spirit. Light is breaking forth. What am I trying to make you understand? When God judges you, he exposes you, he deals with the issues that are holding you back and then you are set free. Glory to God. Are you following this? So, when you go back to that place later, I'm going to make you see that. I'm still going to discuss that with you next week. The book of Acts chapter 17, 30, 31. Be able to see as appointed a day in the which will judge the world. In righteousness, and has given assurance. What is the assurance? That Jesus rose from the grave. So everybody is going to rise from the grave. He gave the assurance to all men, not some people. The assurance is Jesus rose. Therefore, everyone is going to rise. As in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ, our world, all be made alive. We don't see these things. Because of the way we've been taught. Because of our mindset. Because of our belief system. When we read the Bible, we don't have we don't see light in it. We don't see truth in it. This one is saying, it's going to. Now I said Acts 17. That's what I said. 30, 31. Hallelujah. Amen? Come on, are you with me? So, what are we talking about? Judgment is such a dimension of time. Right. That God has positioned that is going to bring all men back. And not just that. He's dealing with all situations. And the primary thing I want you to pick for tonight is Judgment is redemptive and progressive. Is that okay? Yeah. It's progressive and it's redemptive. And that's why we wrote about the issue of all things being gathered together in Christ in Ephesians 1 verse number 10. In the ages to come, there will be climate sense. So there's a process going to that age, that final thing. And what's going to happen at the final thing? We are saying God shall be all in all. The indwelling factor, the controlling factor in every man, not some people in every man. We need to understand that. That is a climax of that which God is doing on the face of the earth. And judgment is one of the instruments that is using to bring man to that position. All things are working together. For the creation itself, even the way it is, shall be redeemed from corruption, from decay. And that is true, the sons of God that is raising. And that's what you want to understand. All the people that are going to come to bring this to pass at the final stage are actually the first company of God that is dealing with right now, that is building up right now. And you are privileged to hear what we are hearing because God is raising the people that will finally position to obey the one or take over. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? Because Jesus is Savior. What do you find in Badiah 21? Savior shall arise out of where? Man Zion. That's what I'm talking about. What about in the east? That's what the church is going to be. Hallelujah. And remember, Jesus said in John chapter 5, All judgment have been committed into the Son of Man, but God does not judge anyone. So what is that supposed to mean? If everything is committed into the hands of the Son of God, then the church is going to take over from where? It similarly stops. And that's why I read First Corinthians chapter 6 and say, No, you know that you shall judge the world. How many of you have read that? First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, 1 to 3, it tells you that. Praise the living God. 
So what am I trying to make you understand? Judgment is not that which you have to be scared of. No, no, no. Judgment is not something scary. I want to use that word again. And so when they begin to tell you, well, the rapture is going to come, and then that's going to be judgment day, and then you're flying away. You don't even understand when you talk about the issue of tribulation. I will share that with you. Time to come. Tribulation, I want to talk about a great tribulation. That's what happened in AD 70. It's not talking about what is happening now. What could be much more terrified than what happened there? And right now, what is going on, even in my country? What do you think is much more terrified than that? Look at ISIS everywhere. Look at all these people all over the place. Terrible things going on. Look at the things that just happened in Afghanistan. Which of that great tribulation do you think is happening? I mean, you are looking for. That is not right now on the face of the earth. Which one? That's what people don't understand. So the trouble is already here. But one thing is so important. Second Peter tells us that. In the midst of the trouble, God knows how to preserve the, the godly from what? From destruction. God is going to save his people. Praise God somebody. God will always preserve his people. No matter where you find yourself. No matter where you are. No matter what you think you are doing. As long as you are with God and in God. God will preserve you. God will save you. God will protect you. Hallelujah. Are you following me? Good. And that's why God had to speak to Isaiah. And even Jeremiah. But he told Isaiah, say, fear not their fear, say not the confederacy, the confederacy. Don't let that which troubled people trouble you. Don't let that which messing up people mess up your mind. No, don't think for sure God is God and He's a great shield. He'll protect His own. Praise the living God, somebody. Hallelujah. Understand this simple truth. God's judgment is redemptive and is progressive. Hallelujah. And the final end of all things is going to be in God. Praise the living God. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.